Hello and welcome to Desert Island Celtic, the podcast that categorises a cynic's top five moments of a particular Celtic subject. I'm your host, Christopher Gallagher, and today I've got the absolute honour and joy of being joined by Barry Gallagher. Hello, Barry. How are you? Very well, thanks. Um, always been a fan of this particular podcast and delighted to to be on it with you uh, today. Great stuff. Um yeah, listen, let's just get right into it. Um, I, I, you know, tasked Barry with coming up with a, a specific uh, subject um, that he could categorise into a top five. Um, so, Barry, what did you choose? I've gone for my top five European away trips that I've been on. Um, I've sort of, I was looking at parameters and um, because I always like to be positive. So I've gone for games where we've had largely positive results. Um, the trip itself might not have been the best trip, but I've tried to go for a sort of but a results based business. So <laughs> I've tried to go for results uh, the best that we can do. And anyone who's been following Celtic for as long as we have know that our away form in Europe isn't particularly great. So uh, I've slim pickings uh, results wise, but I've tried my best to keep them positive results. Great stuff. Um, we've got some fucking absolute bangers in here. Um, I'm looking at this list now. Um, an absolute joy. Um, but before we even get to that, I've got a question for you, Barry. What okay. makes a good European away trip? What makes it kind of pop for you? Um, I think, first of all, it's got to have a good square. Um, yeah. The place that you go to has got to have a good square. I don't know, it's like a, a Schweppes umbrella. Um, sitting. It doesn't matter the weather, but just there's just something nice about... Either having a large carryout, um, sitting in the square, or being in one of the the pubs round about it, and um, I think, I think just sort of the joy of it is there's so much that goes on before the game. Um, I always think that it's nice to try and have the night before the game, so you don't have to really worry about the fixture. Um, then you've got all day of the game, and then. It's a weird feeling sometimes you think, oh God, I've actually got a game to go to now because you've just been singing all day and stuff like that. Um, so I think that's important. Um, the company that you're on as well um, definitely makes the trip. Um, and it's just it's just a great experience. It's almost like you're on the front line. Um, I know it sounds a bit cheesy, but on the front line representing the club. Um, and once you actually get into the stadium, I think there's something really poignant and something really inspiring when the hoops are if we're wearing a away kit, when you see the team line up, um, if it's the Champions League music or the Europa League or whatever, it's a sort of feeling of immense pride. Like you feel like um, you're almost representing the people back home who aren't able to make the trip. So all of those sort of tied in together and it's a, it's a magical experience uh, and hopefully I can share some of that with you today. Uh, excellent, really great answer. Uh, in regards to, like, I get two other questions for you, right? Uh, digs, how important are digs? Do you go with, when you're booking an away trip, do you go with semi-decent digs? Good digs or just a place to dump your bags? Um, I'm not, I'll probably touching this later, but I'm not able to go as much as I would like now because of my job and um, the holidays. But I think when I was younger, it was just a case of if I could do it as cheap as possible, um, I would. Um, so it was just a case of dumping your bags. Um, and then as you get a wee bit older, um, I think you like your comforts a wee bit more. So I wouldn't go top end, um, but I. Some of the places I stayed early on would um would horrify horrify me now, I think. But yeah, I sort of a mixture. Um and of course there's there's some in here that I know I said I like to try and go the night before. There's some that I've done the day trip where you're just kinda of in and out. Um and that can be really beneficial for people who don't get um 
the time off. So, yeah, I, I think as as you get a wee bit older and you get a wee bit more money, um, you can treat yourself a wee bit better. Absolutely. Uh, and final question before we kind of hit into your top five, and this is completely thrown. Barry is not aware of this. I've not given him time to kind of think about it. Uh, best local beer you've had? Is there, a, is there a local brew that has really kind of hit you and you've thought, oh, that's going down nice and easy? One that um, is not one of the, the trips I've included here, but I, I particularly like is it Superbock, um, the Portuguese oh, yes. beer. Um, so been lucky enough, I'd, I'd been to Porto to see Celtic play and um, Lisbon for Benfica. So, yeah, that's the one that jumps out at me. You can hear the echo, I think, just a little bit in the tunnel, but you've no idea what it, what it meant when the studs were hitting off the, the ground and the, the noise was quite, quite dramatic. And you can just imagine 22 people all walking up here, well, 25 if I count the referee and the two linesmen. And it was really noisy. And I thought we were going to go all the way out the tunnel. But he only took us up to those first steps at all season, a minute or two, and stopped us there. And believe it or believe it or not, I'm no the happiest man sitting in tunnels, standing in tunnels. And I was desperate to get out. And all of a sudden... We needed something to relax us, and we Bertie hit it right on the head. He started singing the Celtic song. And before we knew where we were, we were all joined in and singing the Celtic song. And I had a look at some of these Italian boys, and they were astounded. They were astounded. And I, I think that gave us just a wee plus before we even got onto the pitch. Let's start, Barry. What's your, what's your number five? Uh, what's in the number five position? Number five, I have gone for Astra Giorgio. Um, and I was actually thinking about this recently because you did the excellent pod with um, the Romania CSC yeah. um, and a lot of the, the sort of stories um, that the guy was sharing there kind of brought it all back um, so we flew to I think we flew from London for this one and we flew to Bucharest um, and Bucharest itself is a lovely place the really good weather Um Irish boozer, similar to what I said about a square and just everyone having a great time. And then my mum, my mum of all people who's not really into football, she texts me saying, Oh, I hear that the game's in doubt. <sighs> and I was like, God, like thinking, like, has there been like a major incident or something just because it's a, a, that particular part of the world? But she said, No, like, apparently the you can't see line to line um, because of the fog. And Honestly, like I know that was November time. It was like a summer's day in Bucharest. Um, Supon kind of short sleeve tops and stuff like that. Um, so it was getting closer and closer to the time that we'd have to leave. I think it was maybe just over an hour from uh, Bucharest to get to Giorgio. And got a taxi driver, and um, I remember it, it, had, it had like a wee. I hadn't seen this before, but it's probably more common now. Like a wee sort of TV screen. Um, in the front of the car and in the back seats. And I think we'd put on like uh, very best of the wolf tones or something like that. And <laughs> uh, just to get us in the mood. And then like, it was almost as if someone had flicked, uh, flicked a, a light switch and dimmed the lights. You couldn't see in front of you. Like the fog was horrendous. Um, and then at that point you're starting to panic because you're thinking there's no, there's no way this game's going ahead. And I think the sort of protocol is for European away games that they try to play it as close to the fixture as possible. So there was talk that if the game's called off, they would try and play it the next, next day. afternoon, which, yeah, it was suited us because we were still 
we're still had enough time with flights and stuff like that. But anyway, we got there, um, and I hope I'm not um, doing you a disservice. I'm, I think the guy um, from the Romania CSC described the place, and honestly, it's the strangest place I've ever been in my <laughs> life. Um, not it wasn't helped by the fact that you could hardly see anything. That was probably doing it a favour. Um, but yeah, it was just like something. Like is something that, is, like, is it big? Is it a big city? No, it's really small, but a lot of sort of abandoned buildings. Um, it's only the only thing I can sort of compare it to is like see sort of out of like a um, Resident Evil or something like that, like just Silent Hill or something. Yeah, something like that. Um, but then we got to the ground, and I think at that point I had a pretty good record. Um, but some of my friends I'd managed to—I don't even know how this happened—I'd managed to get tickets for them. From the guy who plays Hooper the Huddle Hound, who'd got them from Scott Brown. <laughs> so, aye, it said on the ticket, it said like it said on the ticket Scott Brown. So we were kind of warned by I think my uncle knew the guy who was that, and we were warned to be on our best behaviour because obviously it was the captain's tickets. And I think that said a lot about the trip that Bruno was happy to give away like five tickets or something. <laughs> like, so I... My family are not going there. Huh? Um, and then we got into the ground, which was. As you would imagine, a sort of Eastern Bloc um, ground for a, a team who I think I was just looking. Recently, I think they're way down the divisions now, um, so it was obviously like a purple patch for them in their history. But it was the coldest I've ever been at the football. So you were like standing on a terrace, and your feet were basically in puddles for ninety minutes. Um, and the fog was still. I'm actually surprised the game went ahead. Like the team came out and. Um, it was hard to like see the, the lineup and the the huddle and stuff like that. And the result, um, we took the lead. We were playing pretty well. Uh, I think we get a goal disallowed. Johansson scored for us, and I was really thinking, right, this will be the first time that I've seen Celtic win away um, in Europe. And kind of sucker punch. I think they scored maybe about ten minutes to go, and then um, I think Lee Griffiths missed a sitter just to the last kick of the ball. Yeah. Um, and then they got so mad. the game itself wasn't mad. that memorable, yeah. but. I think just the, the sort of the fear of the game um, being re- been cancelled, um, the place itself, like uh, we couldn't couldn't wait to get out there quick enough. And the other thing was the taxi driver had stayed for us the um, the whole game, which oh. gives you an indication of um, how reasonable. I think we gave him a good bung for doing that as well. Um, and we had a great night. We went back. Um, What's the rest of the <laughs> 25 anniversary of the Wolf Tones <laughs> on YouTube. Um, probably Gary Og as well. Um, but yeah, it, I remember when we flew, we got back on the flight and I remember the flight landed and um, a guy, as soon as we landed, a guy shouted, Jess, my 25th um, trip away seeing Celtic and no wins. <laughs> so that was just a kind of... Fucking hell, man. The way things were at that point. Um but yeah, a really memorable trip because of things off the pitch rather than for things um, on the pitch, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, the 2014-15 season. Um, as you say, Stefan Johansson scored. Uh, that was Group D we were in. And we actually qualified out of the group. Uh, the group was Red Bull, Salzburg, Dynamo Zagreb and Astra. Um, do you remember much about that group as a whole? Um... That was when we had, was it not when, we, remember we'd signed John Guidetti, but he was, he'd missed the deadline to play for, play for us in Europe, and we had Skepovic who'd turned us down and then we signed him. So I think he scored a couple of goals maybe against Astra at home. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it was that sort of green tartan strip that I remember about that um, campaign. But um, just one thing, I was just kind of looking up to see like the dates there. And it's amazing how things change. So this isn't to shit on anyone at the Celtic Wiki because you'll know, Gal, we've had opinions out there that have been wildly wrong um, and people are free to cast them up if they want. But there was just a quote about Callum McGregor here. Um, I think it's quite poignant because how well his career's gone. But he's saying, I don't buy into there being any kind of witch hunt where McGregor is concerned. People are just calling what it is. The boy is pish and no amount of games... Our chances is going to alter that. Giving him a five-year deal is fucking laughable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. That I mean, he was kind of <clears throat> that. I mean, Ronnie Dialogue got a lot of good. Per- I mean, that was kind of when he just was kind of breaking out of the team, wasn't it? As well, he scored all those kind of deflected goals, didn't he? Um, yeah. But yeah, it's. I just thought that was funny. Um, and again, no criticism of the Celtic Wiki because they provide us with so many uh, great service, great great memories as well. But. Yeah, it wasn't a great Celtic team. Um, I don't really... I know a, a few of the cynics are quite fond of Ronnie and I suppose McGregor's one of the, the things would he have become the player he is now if he hadn't been given that opportunity. Um, he might not have even broken in if it wasn't for Ronnie. But yeah, it's not a time I look back on fondly. Um, as I say, like Guidetti was maybe the, the shining light that season, but for this particular campaign, he wasn't registered in time. So... Um, who knows, maybe if he'd been registered, we would have won this game and I would have had a, a victory to talk about. Uh, that was also the Legia Warsaw game um, season, um, where we uh, we drew for oh. each, remember? Oh, um, so it was. Yeah, so it, it was uh, Salzburg and we, we beat Dynamo Zagreb at home and we beat Astra at home and that's kind of the draw got us through as well. So, great start, um, lovely stuff, that's number five. See this Astra Wall's actually holding and it's Mogru. Mogru doesn't beat the wall. It clears out as far as Johansson. Johansson with the second hand, and it's a goal for Celtic! What a goal! What a strike from Stefan Johansson! The free kick from Charlie Mulgrew, knocked away by the wall. It drops kindly for Stefan Johansson, who just thunders it into the top left-hand corner. It's FC Astra now, Celtic 1. Number four, I've gone for Hamburg. Hamburg away again in the Europa League. Um, okay. So this was in 2009, uh, November 2009, I believe, and Tony Mowbray was the manager. Yes. Um, so again, not a a sort of memorable time um, or a memorable period that we look back on fondly, but the trip itself was was really good. Um, I think Hamburg is a place that. I've been a few times since, and it's a great city. There's so much to to do there, and I think because there's always been that sort of needle, hasn't it, from the mid nineties um, yes. of Celtic um, and Hamburg because of our relationship with uh, St. Pauli. Um, and the the thing I liked most about this game, because to get out of the way early, it was a nil nil draw. Um, so the game itself was quite forgettable. Um, I remember Scott McDonald had a chance one on one which he missed. Yes, but the trip was perfect. Like. I don't must have feeling flush at this point, but for me and my pals went for five days, which is unheard of. Um, for that, we must have must have been like a hundred pound cheaper to stay an extra day. Um, so we were there the night before the game. Um, lots of Celtic fans about, and then drinking all day the day of the game. And then the Green Brigade had organised a a sort of massive cocktail where we all went from the train station. And there's loads of good videos of this still on YouTube to this day. Um, all behind the Green Brigade banner. Uh, lots of pyro and stuff like that. Um, 
and loads of St. Pauli fans had come and join because they had all had their flags and banners as well. Um, and the stadium's quite far out of the city. I think it's kind of like up in a sort of forest. Um, but but then when you see the ground, it's brilliant. There was a lot of security because I think it was a sort of high-profile game because of the the sort of notoriety of the relationship between us and Hamburg. And then as soon as you get into the ground, the Hamburg fans unveiled a big, massive no-surrender uh, banner, um, which Celtic fans just kind of laughed off, but I think they thought it was far funnier than we did. Um, and as I say, the, the Celtic played particularly well, I think. Um, Hamburg were... I think they were either f- top of the, the Bundesliga at that point or certainly in the top two or three anyway. Um, and, yeah. So a really good trip. The stadium was great. Um, but perhaps the best thing um, about the trip was actually the night after the game. So we were, that was a Thursday night because it was Europa League. But the next night we got tickets to go and see St. Pauli play. And right. there was loads, loads of Celtic fans still who maybe just decided to stay for the weekend. Um and what an experience that was. It was before, I've, I've since been again to the, the stadium, but it was more sort of Paris in there. Like, I, I think they've sort of become more successful uh, on the park. So they, they built, I think they built two or three more sort of stands now. But the atmosphere was incredible. We were able to drink. Um, we treated like sort of heroes because we'd stayed on for their game. Um, and yeah, I think that, that made the trip rather than the Celtic uh, performance. And as I say, we went for five days, which probably by the fourth day, I was could not wait to get home <laughs> because I've been drinking the whole time. Um, but no, a really memorable um, experience. Again, great to see Celtic uh, away, keep a clean sheet, but again, just that elusive victory, um, which you might see a theme going through uh, the games that I've chosen. But... No, a great city and uh, a really memorable trip. Did you get to, obviously you came on the Wednesday, the game was on Thursday, you know, the Friday night you've got the St. Pauli game. See, the Saturday was a case of, eh, you know, maybe you know, it'd be quite good to go home now. <laughs> like, yeah. What, did uh, it just go on too long? Yeah. Yeah, very much, I think it was three of us went and one of my pals went home the Saturday morning. I think we were maybe there till the Sunday night or the Monday morning or whatever. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, <laughs> And it was, it was depressing. Like, I was like, oh God, like, because we're spending a fortune as well. Exactly. Like, yeah. Um, we actually watched, we actually watched the Celtic game in an Irish pub over there. Um, and I, I think it happened to be Remembrance Day. So that brought its own uh, uh, challenges. Um, particularly, I think the bar barmaid was English. So she wasn't best pleased with how the, the, the minute silence was greeted both on the telly and in the pub. As I was going to say, in the pub, booing uh, loudly. Um, <laughs> so it was Thursday, the 5th of November, 2009. Actually, I'll go through the team as well. Uh, Zaluska and goals. Of course, Dominic Servi, uh, known Trump fan, Dominic Servi on the bench. Um, Hinkle, Caldwell, Jesus, listen to this. Hinkle, we get a clean sheet. Hinkle, Caldwell, Leuvens and Fox uh, with... Nguemo, Crossass, Robson, and McGady, Samaras, and McDonald. Um, McDonald and McGady both came off on the 59th minute for Fortuny and Naylor. Uh, Jesus. I mean, see, in regards to that point, there was 54, 54 sorry, 45,000 people there. Was the atmosphere inside the stadium? You mentioned the kind of rivalry and... I think, you know, you, you can see they've got a biggest association with Rangers. They're quite right wing. Was it 
was the atmosphere fine in the stadium or was it a little bit was it at any point a little bit nasty uh, there was de- there was definitely an edge to it like it f- probably an atmosphere that you don't tend to get too much away um in Europe because of um I think having that sort of so-called rivalry or whatever, um, more from them than us, I would say. Um, but yeah, there's definitely an edge to it. Um, I think the fact that we'd had the the sort of massive corteo through the city didn't sit well with them. Um, and then there was, I remember it was probably the first time I can remember us having lots of pyro in our end as well. I know that's sort of commonplace now, um, but I remember thinking this is a proper atmosphere, like there was flares everywhere you looked. Um, so the Celtic support were definitely up for it um, so were the Hamburg um, fans but just a pity nobody on the pitch seemed to be <laughs> Was there any issues or trouble outside the ground? When my, my sister went to uh, when Celtic played Hamburg in 97, 96 or 97 can't remember off the top of my head but it was 96 or 96 I think PSG was 97 and Hamburg was 96 or vice versa Yeah I think you're right 96 yeah Um she said when she was there that it was just trouble all over the place. Um, you know, really run, running battles on the streets and stuff. Um, was there any any of that? Was there any fear or kind of was there a, um, a feeling? Not of- particularly. I think the only issue was it took forever to get in, which on my travels I've seen that a lot. Like, uh, I think, I think we just sort of lumped in with other sort of UK based fans. Like, um, so the only trouble I sort of saw was maybe with overzealous policing or stewards, but. I think because the stadium's quite far out the way um, and it tended to be just their sort of ultras who were the opposite stand from us other end of the pitch. So personally, I never saw anything um, too bad, but whether that was the case for everyone, I'm not sure. But no, you could certainly feel the atmosphere in the ground, but thankfully never saw any sort of trouble or violence. Uh, that was a, quite a depressing time <laughs> um, for Celtic. Uh, we would finish um, second bottom in that group. Um, I remember the Rapid Vienna game versus, you know, Celtic Rapid Vienna away from home where we were 3-0 down within 20 minutes. Genuinely thought we were going to get absolutely annihilated, but ended up finishing three each. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the trip itself though sounds, you know, pretty damn cool. Um, it's a cool city um, and it's a cool country to, to visit. I've been to Hamburg a couple of times to see St. Pauli, but great stuff. So that's number four, Hamburg 2009, the 0-0 draw. Number three, I have gone for the UEFA Cup final of 2003 in the city of Seville. Magical, uh, momentous and uh, a huge um, situation, a huge achievement. We'd obviously um, got to the final um, against Porto, Jose Mourinho's Porto. Talk us through the whole process of, you know, as soon as the final whistle goes on the semi-final, were you on the phone? Were you on teletext? Because yeah, there was very little internet. <laughs> how how did you get your stuff booked? Because it was crazy, right? It was. Um, so I, I can vividly remember it. I watched the semi-final in, in Pub and Paisley and then just phoning my dad and just like both of us basically just cheering down the phone for a 
what felt like about five minutes just screaming that we've done it. And then started to think clearly when I like, can I go? If I get a ticket, can I go? And my dad was like, yep, sure, no problem. Because spoilers, I was at another um, of the, the trips on the road to Seville, I won't say which one. And I think I'd been to maybe a couple before the season before. So I did have experience of going. Um, so I had built up a record with Celtic. Um, so it was far easier then than it is now to, yeah. uh, to get tickets. Um, so I knew I would be in with a shout, but I just wanted to to clarify because I was in sixth year. So it's actually coming up for the, the sort of 20th anniversary. So we'd beaten Bob Easter during the Easter school holidays. Um, and obviously when you're in sixth year, you know you've got exams coming up. So just kind of looking around the dates for when my exams were, when the final would fall, etc. And the first obstacle was that I had an exam the day after the final, so it was my business and management uh, hire. So I knew that was going to be problematic with both my parents were teachers, but my mum, as I mentioned earlier, she has no interest in football. She can't understand why it's got such a sort of stronghold over um, my dad and myself's lives. Um, and I knew for a fact that my dad wouldn't be able to go because, um, as I say, he was a teacher, so... The the next couple of weeks or so from the final whistle going felt like an eternity. You, you know, Celtic supporters listening to this just now, like you keep refreshing, you keep refreshing your phone now, but you obviously didn't have things like that. So you were waiting for letters to go out or maybe something on the website. And a letter came through to say that I had been successful um, and I had a ticket. So. My mum was still adamant that no, I couldn't go because it was right in the middle of exams. I think I'd, as I said, an exam the next day and then one the following week. But my dad was very much, um, it's a once in a lifetime experience. If we can get him a flight that will get him back in time for the exam, we'll go for it. So um, me and my pal Kevin, um, I remember my mum being on the phone to his mum saying, oh, I don't think we should do it. And I think that they finally agreed and we'd got, a flight that would get us back or supposed to get us back um, in plenty of time for the exam. Um, and I always remember the ticket was £21, which Fucking is hell, crazy, man. isn't it? Um, crazy. So managed to get a flight and then there was problems with that as well. So I remember getting a phone call maybe the Monday to say that the flight that we were supposed to be on had been cancelled from Glasgow, but they managed to get another slot in Presswick. Um, so, yeah. I think I'd maybe had an exam on the Monday as well. Um, so got that out of the way. And then it was all sort of system school for uh, getting there. So my dad dropped me and my pal Kevin at Presswick Airport and we flew out. Um, so we had, I think we got maybe got there in the morning. So we had plenty of hours uh, drinking before is this, it. Is this Tuesday morning? No, this is Wednesday morning. So we flew out on the day of the, of the game. So it was one of those sort of in and out day trips that I mentioned. I remember sharing a taxi with another young guy and his dad into this the sort of centre of Seville and um, met up with so many members of my family. It was incredible. Um, felt a bit bad for my dad because he was, I think he was told by his council that anyone who was spotted or was known to have gone was instant dismissal. Yeah. Um, whether they could, that could have held up in court, I don't know, but he wasn't <laughs> taking any chances. Um, and then just, so I was 17, just like drinking all day in the sun. I remember seeing where we were, all the sort of youth players from Celtic were there as well, so they must have got to go, and I remember they were all steaming, um, <laughs> kind of sitting about the square. Um, and then 
we went to the big square where they had like the big uh, double decker open top bus. Yeah, and I think it was the Daily Record bus or something, and it said, uh, "Here we go," because every team that we'd beaten so far had a V. Remember that, like, so yeah. like everyone had a V in their name. And then I think like Jane Lewis and John McKay or whatever were on top of that. Um, Kevin and I ended up on the news, um, live on the news. So I was lucky enough to have a mobile phone there and I was getting loads of sort of calls and stuff to say, oh, I've just seen you on the telly. And then we made our way to the ground and Kevin and I weren't sitting together. So I remember sort of walking up, obviously, the way Bright Stadium and um, but walking up the sort of stairs to where I was uh, to be seated and I've never understood, like, see when people say they cry when they're happy. Like, I remember my mum. Mum's getting a lot of mentions here in this uh, podcast. I've sent it to her, maybe she'll <laughs> like football eventually. Um, I remember my mum crying it in happy films. She's, and I was like, why are you crying? It's happy. But I remember she, when I looked out and I saw all the banners and the green and white, like, I just started crying. Like, I was like, this is... It made me think of, see, like, seeing things like... Um, the World Cup in 1986 where you just saw like the Azteca Stadium and all that. Yeah. I just thought, this is what this looks like, but it's all Celtic fans. And I couldn't, I was just overwhelming, I think. Just I thought, like, I'm so lucky to be here. Um, and then just the game started and, um, or as everyone knows, how, how it went. But I remember thinking, if we score here, you need to go the craziest you've ever been. Um, what's that phrase you say? Bitch cakes, Cal? Just go bitch cakes, yep. Bitch cakes, so Raj Bongo, bitch cakes, and, and that's what I did, like just going absolutely mental when Larson scored the two goals. And it's funny, like looking back on the game, because people say, like, we were in the ascendancy after the second goal that we scored. I, the, sadly, I don't ever remember in the game thinking we were going to win this. It almost felt like we were just keeping them at bay. Um, and then obviously Bobo, the descending off, and then we were up against it. Uh, and it just wasn't to be, but the experience of being there was incredible. Um, as I say, I met loads of my cousins and um, people I knew, um, and you did feel really privileged to be there because you knew how many people were back home watching it and lucky enough to be um, in the stadium with my, my £21 ticket. And I remember my biggest, my only regret probably is, see when the final whistle went, I was again crying this time for different reasons but overwhelmed and I left because I, I think I was I think I was probably crying with anger rather than sadness like because it I definitely felt like Porto's antics have been well documented like Peter Bayer rolling about every time Celtic um, won the ball the whole Porto bench was running on the pitch like screaming for a foul um, yeah. still don't think that Bobo's first foul was a booking but that's by the by Um so I left and I remember like walking down the stairs, old guys saying, don't cry, son, like we'll be back again. And I, I knew in my heart of hearts we wouldn't and we haven't been. Obviously, I'd love to be going back um, at some point. But yeah, that's my regret. I didn't stay to kind of see the, the players like walk around the pitch. But a, a brilliant experience. Um, I would still say, I know I haven't put this number one, but I would still say that this is probably the, the best day of my life so far. Um and I know how can you say that when we never won, but I think just being in a, a European final, representing the club, representing your family and your friends. Um, and I just loved the, the manager and this squad of players. And um, yeah, it was a joy to build. Um, I watched the game in the house. I, I didn't get a ticket. I was, I've never been as poor in my life as I was at that point, so I had no chance of going. But um, it's one of the 
best days of my life. You know, like, uh, you know, it's, you know, I watched that game in the house with my, with my dad and, you know, the emotions, I'll, you know, never forget that. I'll never forget the, never forget the pain, never forget the joy, you know, obviously everyone knows and, you know, we'll definitely do a podcast or potentially two of, of this run because it's the 20th year this year. So maybe um, around about this time, maybe even June, we'll, we'll kind of have a retrospective look back. But, you know, it's... <clears throat> 80,000 Celtic fans, UEFA described it as the largest travelling support to have assembled for a single game. So much pride, so much joy. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of feel the same as you in regard to, I did feel like, this is it. <laughs> and, yeah. and unfortunately, we've kind of been proven right. Um, it's never looked like we'd ever get to that level again. What did you do after the game? Or, or if you want to come in with something else yeah. then. No, no, that's just what I was going to say. So, it's funny as well, and... Um, just with obviously them being in Seville um, last year, there was a similar issue in the stadium with getting liquid of any sort. Um, to I didn't drink my own piss in just case you were or anyone else's. Um, but I just remember like they ran out; they were seriously ill prepared for the amount of uh, supporters there. So as soon as we got on the bus to the airport, I remember just clearing out a shelf of waters, beers, juices, anything I could get because it was absolutely roasting. Even I remember, you know, those things, the sort of, it tells you the temperature in like bus stops and stuff like that in Spain. Yeah. I remember when we were walking to the game, so obviously it was a quarter to nine kickoff there and it was still like 36 at that time of night, which is yep. unheard of, unreal. Um, but as soon as we got back to the airport, um, did you go? Did, all the... did you go to the airport? Just go from the stadium to your digs to the airport. Well, we didn't have digs because we were over there for the for the day trip, so it was straight from the stadium uh, to the airport. And then um, I remember looking at the the board to see where our flight was, and our flight wasn't on the board at all. Um, so Kevin, could, my pal Kevin, I was with, can speak Spanish, um, so he did at uni. And he asked someone and they were saying, no, that flight's been cancelled. So I remember my mum phoned. I think I've said this on a pod before, but I remember my mum phoned to say, you're going to be back in time for your exam, etc." And I was like, mum, I don't even know when I'll be back. My flight's cancelled. <laughs> and you see what like the cartoon when you just hear someone screaming and shouting? Yeah, that yeah. That was my mum. You hold that away um, from I me. I told you that's what happened. So... Straight into like the, the sort of wee small hours of the morning, there was still nothing, and then it came on that they'd managed to get a flight um, to get us back, but it meant we wouldn't get back till like eight o'clock on the Friday night. So obviously, I think that was about eight hours after my exam would have finished. Um, so I remember thinking that was quite like there's nothing I can do about it. I'm in no fit mood to sit a business and manager exam anyway yeah. after um, what I've been through. So I thought, fair enough. Uh, what will be will be. Um, and then we, we did get back and I always remember my dad chancing his arm to say could Barry get like could he put an appeal for us because he passed his pre-arm and I think the head teacher was like Barry made everyone aware in the school where he was going <laughs> so no no chance so no, I never, never got that higher and the, the irony is that my first degree was in business and management so it never held me back Um, but yeah and then there was more sadness that weekend because obviously we get back late on the Friday night and then we played the tickets for Kilmarnock on the Sunday at Rugby Park. Um, and obviously, um, as Chris Sutton said, Dan Feldman, we knew they would lie down. So it was three or four days of genuine heartache because 
the best sort of Celtic team in our lifetimes, I would say, ended that season empty-handed. Um, and you'd never have uh, imagined that uh, sort of March time, still going for four trophies. So, yeah, it's times with sadness, but again, a lot of it's pride, and um, I would do it all again tomorrow if I could. Well, all week here on Scotland Today, we've been bringing you some incredible tales of how the Celtic fans have managed to wing their way over here to Seville. For one young man, though, as we've discovered, uh, watching his heroes live in action play over here has come at a cost. He was supposed to be getting married today in Pakistan. Needless to say, he didn't make his wedding. He's out here instead. Mike Edwards has this exclusive report. Breaking the bad news, Tay Baig is telling his bride-to-be, both families and 1,500 guests, that he won't be at the wedding in Lahore this afternoon. It can happen. Your pals take you on a stag weekend to London and you end up in Seville for the football. Once in a lifetime, like I say, wedding wedding can happen again, but Seville, after 38 years, so need to go to the final on it. Die hard, you see. A season ticket holder. So the whole thing was to get the boys to go enjoy the game. The boys waited 20 years. So's the girl. Don't mind me saying. <laughs> he got engaged when he was five. So surely for God, if she's waited all those years, another day in history wouldn't make a difference. What was the reaction? They're not happy about it anyway. What did they say? They're not happy. They're saying that you let me, you let us down and everything. So, so I'll just told them I can't be bothered with this anything. Are you going to stay for the game? I will definitely. Oh, I will definitely stay for the game. See when we go by, what happens after that. And worry about the repercussions later. Well, should be alright afterwards. And right now they're here at the moment, and because because we never told them what was happening, we done it without thing. We're telling them that they were expecting us over there. So. Is it, is it worth it? Hopefully, hopefully they'll do it for us. And I hope they does our thing. It'll definitely be worth it then. Tay says he'll make it up to his new bride by taking her on a lovely long romantic honeymoon to Monte Carlo, where Celtic will play in the European Super Cup final if they win tonight. So number two is, as I mentioned, um, it was Celta Vigo. So this was in the December um, of the year before, um, and what a trip! Um, I think in terms of, oh, again, I won't spoil what's number one, but I think in terms of a trip, this was probably my favourite. Um, but as I'll go on to describe the magnitude of the other one, I couldn't not put that number one. So um, lucky enough to um, get booked up to go to Vigo. Um, and as is the case with most of these, you tend to book the trip before you know the result of the first leg. Um, so again... As was the case, weirdly, for some of these ties, I think we were outplayed on the night at Celtic Park. Yeah, um, they had a really good team, guys like Benny McCarthy, um, Mostavoy, yeah, Mostavoy, Carpin, um, Carpin, etc. Yep. Um, Peter Lucen. Um So we sort of hung on as we had done against Blackburn, and then Larson um, had got the goal um, to take us there. So. Going over there, knowing that we were still in it, which was it's always good knowing that you get something to cling on to. Um and yeah, the, the trip itself was brilliant. Like it was just before Christmas. Um so that sort of added a nice sort of edge to it. Um Christmas decorations all up in Vigo. Um I remember just weird things I remember. So it was there was a sort of um fisherman dispute. 
in um, Vigo at the time. So one of the Celtic fans had organised like a collection um, and it was presented to the, the fishermen of Vigo and over there. So that sort of um, sort of put the on a good foot for going over there. And then I remember that on our flight, one of the the stewards was called Pierre, so the whole plane the whole plane was singing Pierre. That's the only one, Pierre. And uh, the guy was loving it. Um, but again, when we got there, it was a, a sort of great square, um, lots of pubs and stuff like that. And I think because we'd had a few favourable results, this seemed like a really popular one to go to. Um, I remember being in a pub and um, singing the the Willie Mayley song, and I remember it going on for uh, for ages and ages, just like non-stop, just the chorus over and over again. Um, and then making our way to the... So the stadium's like kind of right in the middle of the, the, the city. I remember being in a, a pub across from the ground and then the Spanish police in this one were... I'll come on to talk about this more um, after the game, but they were really heavy-handed. I think because Celtic fans had... I think maybe the fishermen thing annoyed them as well because it was going against the government and yeah. they were obviously the government police. And then obviously us having bass flags and stuff like that didn't sort of endear ourselves to them. But I remember the police just coming in and like had the battens out and it's like everybody into the ground, everybody into the ground. So it was just like a case of like everyone was getting pulled out of the pubs and ushered into the ground. And I remember I had like something weird. It was like a vodka and lemonade or a vodka and orange or something and like a tall glass. And in the whole commotion, I looked and I was actually in the ground looking at the pitch and I still had the glass in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell man I was like how the hell did that happen I was like god if I get caught with this I'm going to get a baton over the head as I would have <laughs> going forward and uh, later in life um, and it was anyway kind of old stadium I don't think they've changed it much since um, so it was like kind of benches um, sort of dug out of the concrete um, I think they've kind of got them I think they've got them at like Capel that's what it reminded me of um, so we're all standing on that and everything, every time something big happened in the game, the whole end would just sort of fall down. It was weird. So, like, see if there was a rush for them, mm-hmm. like everyone would turn to see it, but everyone would fall down because we were standing on these benches. So that was crazy. Um, and obviously, John Hartson's goal. Um, I just remember the sheer strength of him holding the ball from a, a long free kick from Ulrich Lawson, I think. Yes. And uh, he just kind of buries it in the corner and... Just bedroom, as I say, like we're lucky enough to see that. I think one of the Celtic, Celtic goals I didn't see because something had happened and we'd all fallen down. It's hard to describe, like just the whole ground, like lying on these benches. But the Hartson goal was um, amazing. Like I think that was the first time I'd seen Celtic score away in Europe, so that was special in itself. Um, the crowd were rocking that night because I think we had been drinking so much and. Um, I remember Bobo Baldy that night was just immense. Um, he seemed to really relish the, I know we've spoken before about the, the battle he had with John Carew um, for Valencia, but he had a similar one with Benny McCarthy that night. And then it just seemed like an eternity for the final whistle. And then when it went through, it was just incredible. Like I think it's the first time Celtic had secured European football after Christmas for 22, maybe 23 years. Yeah, yeah. And I remember being very much aware of that. Um at the time and again just another funny thing I remember I think it was maybe at half time in that game like there was an old guy talking to me um, 
And he was like, this is what it's all about, son. He's like, beating Rangers is great, but this is where we make our name. And he's like, this is a team to be proud of. And if we can go through, like, people rem- remember this result. And I remember thinking, this guy's wise. It was like a, a vision had appeared to me. Um, but no, it was a brilliant trip. Um, I remember after the game, um, I, again, I think this was just a day trip. So we were um, going straight back to the airport. But I remember just walking to the bus and, like the locals were all great, like kind of applauding us and stuff like that. And um one thing that I would remember was weird, like see the like we street sellers like selling Christmas things. Oh so yeah. They had this thing like the it was like a, a hard to describe it, it was like a thing on springs that reacted to music. So like the vibrations of music made the like the the object dance. And uh I remember someone had given them like a Shabin CD, so these wee Christmas things for dancing to like <laughs> the Samsung and stuff like that. So I remember loving that, like as a, I think I was probably sixteen at that point, like sixteen or seventeen, like just that tickled me. And then when we got back to the airport again, like it's been well documented, the Spanish police were horrendous that night. It was like a almost a riot in the airport. I remember being that quite frightened um, at that um, because they just indiscriminately started attacking. Fucking hell. The Celtic support with Batons. Um and I remember the press reported it as as they would, saying that it was all Celtic fans' fault. But from what I can remember it was just it was probably a rowdiness as you would expect because we'd had our best result in Europe for twenty odd years. But it was nothing sinister or anything like that, but there was people covered in blood um going on to their flights and stuff like that. Um so yeah, that was that probably soured it a wee bit, but in terms of the trip, it had everything. As I say, like everyone full of the Christmas spirit, seeing my first goal at Celtic had scored, um, being away from home, um, knowing that we were going to have European football into the February or March, I think it was. Um, yeah, so just a, a brilliant trip. And again, I loved that team so much um, and so many heroes. Um, and it was that brilliant yellow strip um, that I've still got. Um, so, no, that was, as I say, that could have been number one. Um, but as I'll say shortly, um, why it never made it. Um, so it was the 12th of December 2002, uh, second leg. We'd, we'd won 1-0 uh, in the first leg. Uh, Henrik Larsson, of course. As Barry says, we didn't perform particularly well. But uh, in this game, um, it finished 2-1 to Celta Vigo. Hezoli uh, uh, scored after 23 minutes, and I remember that goal and thinking, oh, well. <laughs> Every time we conceded in Europe on this run, in my head, I was just like, oh, well, that was yeah, good. That's um, and then John Hartson with a, a tremendous goal in the 37th minute. Uh, and then Ben McCarthy scores in the 55th minute. Um, and it was just, you know, from the 55th minute onwards, I think we had a couple of chances. We had opportunities, but it was quite a, a defensive performance, as, you, as you'd expect with uh, being away from home. But uh, an amazing result, an amazing game and a uh, tremendous uh, performance. You know... Did that kind of, uh, the, with the police and the, the batons, did that kind of make you worried about going to future games uh, away from home? Um, it certainly made me think to be better prepared. Better be, can I get it out? Better <laughs> prepared for it, certainly. Um, and I think, yeah, it was quite frightening um, because, as I say, it was, there was women, kids, etc., and that crowd just getting hit by batons. Um, so it was... Um, it was on my mind that it might happen again and um, sadly it has happened again in the other trips I've been on but 
yeah, it just made you more streetwise, I would say, rather than put you off. Yeah, absolutely. And that team obviously was uh, the team that got on the the road to Seville. Um, Douglas, Agat, Valharan, Baldy, Lurson, Petrov, Lennon, Thompson, Larson, Sutton, and Hartson, McNamara and Lambert, uh, both coming on. Tremendous, twenty six thousand people there, uh, and it really kind of catapulted us on. Larson with the free kick. Chris Sutton timed his jump well. John Hartson! Celtic have equalised! A brilliant finish from Hartson, 10 minutes from half time. And is that the goal that points Celtic towards the last 16 of the UEFA Cup? It's a magnificent goal from John Hartson. We spoke about his strength, his ability to turn people, use his body. That was a perfect example there, just brushing off the defender. Gone cell, yards of space inside the box. Still had a lot of work to do. But basically, when we see the rerun of it, it's a fine, fine finish. His 13th goal of the season, John Hartson. He's only started 12 matches. Celta Vigo weren't happy with the way he turned away from the defender using his body. But uh, once he got himself a couple of yards of space, he rifled the shot in. It's a brilliant finish. But as we see the strength here, Sutton again winning the aerial battle, knocking the ball on. Barozio is getting knocked in his, his backside as much as anything else. The Spaniards are not happy, but they get down far too easily. I think that's another example of it, but they've paid the price for it this time. And hurt himself in the process. And goes Alan Thompson, diving in at the expense of a free kick. And this could be the last chance for Celta Vigo, and even Jose Pinto, the goalkeeper, is heading up for the set-piece. It's last chance saloon. But there won't be a last chance because the final whistle has gone in Vigo and Celtic are through in Europe beyond Christmas for the first time in 23 years. But Barry, we're, we're all in anticipation. Um, what is your number one European away trip? So I have gone for 2004, March 2004, and it's Barcelona and the new camp. Talk me through it, Barry. Talk me through it. So similar to what I'd mentioned with the Vigo game, um, the trip was booked prior to the game at Celtic Park, um, just in terms of you need to be fast and yep. get the flights the best route you can. Um, and the route to this was really strange. We went from like Presswick to Charleroi in Belgium. And I remember, I, I remember the police coming over to say, have you missed your flight, boys, in Presswick? Like, no, no, we're going to shallow eyes. All oh, right, okay, it's just because the flights to Barcelona have all left. They must have saved us 20 quid or something like that, um, <laughs> which was a lot of money for um, an 18, 19-year-old. Um, but, yeah, so we, we'd obviously won the first leg, 1-0, um, Alan Thompson with the goal. And again, you're just, in your heart of hearts, you're thinking, at least it gives us a bit of a chance um, because that Barcelona team... Um, where they hadn't been in their best form, but I think um, Rijkaard had come in and they'd started to sort of put them in the right track. Um, Ronaldinho was, for me, the best player in the world at that point. Um, I'm not sure if he'd actually won the World Player of the Year by that point, but um, yeah, so the the sort of prospect of going to the new camp, having watched it on Sky Sports for so many years, um, like a, an absolute cathedral of football, um, and just hoping that we could go there and hold out, and hold out we did. 
But before we even got to that, obviously in the first leg, Rab Douglas had been sent off in ha- at half time. Yeah. Um, because of the Thiago Mota thing. And then Bobo got booked, which meant he'd gone over the threshold for yellow cards as well. So we should say that in the first leg, David Marshall came on um, at half time and saved a Ronaldinho penalty. Yeah. And yeah, also the ball came back to him uh, and um, he kind of just, instead of panicking, he just kind of lobbed the ball over the head of one of the strikers without so nonchalantly. I think I thought to myself, holy, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, exactly. Um, I so um, so tell us yeah, about, so, tell us about your flights. Uh, so flights. So yep. So went to went to Charleroi and then we flew from there to Girona, I believe, which is quite far out of um, classic grinder. Yeah. <laughs> quite far out of, of Barcelona, but um, getting there, it was just um, a joy. Um, again, I think this was a sort of in and out day trip. Um, I seem to remember, but yeah, getting there was just perfect. Like I remember seeing the stadium um, in the morning before we actually went out there um, and just thinking, I can't wait till that place is full and we're in. We actually didn't have tickets for the game. Going, I think this is maybe one of the only times I've gone over to a game before without having a, a ticket. And then went up to the ground maybe a couple of hours before kickoff and I think I paid a ridiculous price to to get one off of a, like a season ticket holder who just... The game wasn't big enough for some of them. They were just selling it to make money. So we were away up in the gods. Um, I, f- I was trying to look for the photos today, but I couldn't find them. But I remember getting a photo with Bobo, who had sat up with the Celtic fans. And bizarrely, he's wearing like a um, South Park Celtic scarf. You know, those ones <laughs> you still see. Uh, yeah. so some of them must have gave him it. Um, and we also saw Tommy Burns up there as well. So got a photo with the two of them. So. Brilliant, brilliant. That was great. I remember the weather being absolutely dreadful considering it was March, like soaked through and then up there it's a different climate itself. It was like, felt like there was ice on you because it's so high up. Um, and I remember looking down at the pitch, seeing the Celtic players warm up and they were like ants. That's how far up you were. Um, but as I say, like this is the one time I remember, so we were obviously wearing the hoops. This is the one that stands out the most is see when you saw the Celtic team line up and then getting into the huddle, like the feeling of pride and like thinking like this is a, a stadium that it's weird to say now because I've obviously played there probably about another six or seven times since. But the first time I can ever remember us playing Barcelona um, in the new camp and um, just a, a joy to sort of behold. Obviously, the Barcelona have that sort of Barca hymn that they always sing, don't they? And I remember thinking that just added to it as well. And then the game starts, and as everyone knows, Marshall has the performance of a lifetime like it seemed everything um everything he did was top class um remember some good saves from Luis Garcia who would go on to play for, for Liverpool um and stuff like that and I remember it was actually similar to the sort of the time of recording we've obviously just beaten Rangers at the weekend see when they had that free kick in the last minute on Saturday yeah I remember just praying like please just let this go over the bar or anything Ronaldinho had a free kick in the very last minute and I was thinking like please I think I was praying to all the Saints I could think of just let this go over the bar hit the wall or let Marshall catch it and luckily enough he never scored and um, performance of a lifetime another special mention I think is to John Kennedy who'd obviously come in for the suspended Bobo and I think he was immense that night Amazing. I always remember 
everyone seemed to run to Marshall at the final whistle, apart from Stan Varga, who I'm sure goes straight to to John Kennedy. Um, and I thought that said, like, he, he knows the shift that they've done. And I remember coming out of that thinking, we've got, like, a young goalkeeper and a young centre-half who could be at Celtic for the next 10 years or so. And it's a shame because I think it was the very next next uh, the very next midweek that was international break and the, the Romanian um, Guinea, was it, that did yeah. the, the tackle on Kennedy. So one week later from being at the high of a tremendous performance and then his career was never really the same after that. But in terms of the, the game itself, it was, I wouldn't say it was enjoyable because we were under the cost, but to come through with that, the season after Seville, I think, I don't think I was the only one who thought we're going to win this now because we're beating Barcelona. We've got the experience of last year. Um, we're going to go on and, and win the trophy. Um, but after the game, it was perfect. Like into this, no, I don't. We, I don't think we were straight to the airport because we, I remember going back into like a sort of nightclub in Barcelona. It was just full of Celtic fans. Um, everyone buzzing, couldn't believe it. Um, and what a night we had. And then again, there was more drama at the airport because. Weirdly flying back, we weren't flying the same route, so we were flying from Barcelona to Brussels, <laughs> and then we were supposed to go from Brussels to another airport in Brussels, but we didn't know that because we just, and I remember Kev, again, my pal Kev, kind of waking me up because I was lying drunk, hungover, and we had to like get a taxi, and we've just made the flight from the other Brussels airport back to wherever it was we were going. Um, but no, a, a brilliant result, like... Um, and I think I'm right to say this is the last time we won a knockout tie um, in Europe, yep. which is crazy to think because it's what about twenty nineteen years, just past nineteen years, almost twenty years, and we didn't go on to to win the trophy because we faced Villarreal, who at that time is you've done many pods about it, Gal, about Juan Roman Raquelme, who was just incredible at that particular time. Um, but yeah, in terms of Barcelona itself, the city was great, the stadium was great, and I just feel privileged to have been there when we knocked them out. Absolutely. The team itself, uh, marshalling goals, uh, Agat, Varga, Kennedy, McNamara, Petrov, Lennon, Pearson, Thompson, Larson, Sutton. Stillian Petrov. Pearson again. Momo Silla gives it back to Pearson. Three minutes have been added. Celtic have beaten Barcelona. A star has been born in 19-year-old David Marshall, and he is the man of the match. David, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know where to begin with this interview. The calmest man in the place, chaos around us at the Celtic dressing room. How was that for you? Unbelievable, you know, it just... We just thought if we get a goal, we had a chance here, but to keep, to keep a clean sheet in the new camp, which is unbelievable. That first onslaught, the first couple of saves you had, were your, I mean, you, you don't seem to have any nerves. Have you got any? I've got plenty, don't worry about it. Uh, well, it's just, uh, to be fair, the first half, it was at saves I was expected to make. Made a good one second half, so I'm just pleased to help out the team. You reckon these were the saves everyone expected to make? First half, anyway, I obviously second half had one over the bar. It was, it was quite a good save, but... You felt any pressure in the build-up to this at all? I will in the hotel today. It was a long day, um, especially when you know you're starting. 
Um, but you've just, got to, you've just got to deal with it, like what the lads have done for a few years now. The first guy to congratulate you coming up the tunnel was Rab Douglas. He might have trouble getting his place back now. Well, that's my job, isn't it? And Rab knows that as well, so I'll just push Rab all the way and hopefully uh, see what the manager thinks. I'd like to think we'd be able to get to do something like that again, but it just it feels like it feels like a lifetime ago, Barry. It feels you know there'll be lots of young young subscribers listening to this who maybe obviously weren't you know around when that was happening. But you know for us we're going to sound like I'm going to make us sound like old old men. But you know we're not even that old. You know I'm I've, I'm 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 forty. This is my fortieth year, and like it still feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and I don't think the gap the gap was particularly big between Barcelona and us at that point but it's taken a whole new meaning isn't it like it's different stratosphere now um, but other memories of I remember the I'm sure they played like the Fields of Athen Rye for us when we were all in the stadium and they had like a big thing on the screens that said hasty back um, which I thought was a nice touch um, and probably regret that because we've, as I say we've played them nearly every <laughs> season since <laughs> Yeah, um, in, in regards to... So that's your top five. Let me run through it. Um, at number five, Astra in 2014, and one each draw. Uh, at number four, Hamburg in 2009, a nil-nil draw. Um, then obviously the UEFA Cup final in 2003, the 3-2 the defeat to Porto. Um, at number two, Celta Vigo's. Uh, it's the 2002... Uh, Christmas, December 2002, the 2-1 defeat, but that goes through. And uh, the top... European away trip for Barry Gallagher. Barcelona 2004, the 0-0 draw after the 1-0 first leg win and what a game it was. Barry, um, how do you sum up your, how do you sum up uh, the experience of following Celtic away in Europe if, you know, some listeners maybe haven't done it? Um, well, as you have noticed, the theme there was that we never, on the night, we never won any of those games. Um, and I look through, there's other notable mentions that never made, really made it. So, um, been to Porto, Lisbon, Valencia, Milan, um, down south to like Arsenal and stuff like that, um, Man United. And I've been to, what, so double figures of European away trips and I've never seen us win on the night. Um, and I think there's people with bigger records than me who will be quite similar. Um, although we seem to have maybe righted that a wee bit. Um, in, in the following years um, but it's as I say I, I'm unable to go to most of them now because of the way like holidays um, are fixed in my, my current job um, and it's the one thing that really gets me down that I, I can't do it because um, you take so much out of it um, I think the whole experience of being away with your sort of nearest and dearest um, representing the club always as I say like the, the drinking and the singing all before it all adds part to it. The game's just a small part, but obviously the, the reason you're there. And I just go back to what I said. So you feel like you're representing the club on the front line, um, representing um, those who aren't lucky enough to be there. And it's just a, a thoroughly enjoyable experience. So if anyone hasn't done it or thinking about it, I would recommend that you do because from someone who has had the experience of going quite a lot see when I see now particular social media and I see all the people um, on Instagram and Twitter with the big flags out and stuff like that it doesn't help it doesn't half make me jealous um, and I suppose the only thing to sort of finish on is that as I mentioned it's 19 years since that Barcelona game where we, we won a knockout tie um, and that's far too long um, because I'm not saying that we have to knock Barcelona out to go to the next round but 
there's been opportunities in the meantime where we really should have done better and things are really positive with Ange just now and we're just that's the sort of next sort of logical step that we need to to improve our record in Europe and I, I think Ange is probably the best man to do that. Absolutely. Fantastic, Barry. I've enjoyed this thoroughly. Uh, thanks for getting involved. Uh, Barry Gallagher, pleasure. Thank you very much. This has been the Desert Island Celtic uh, Top 5 European away trips uh, from Barry Gallagher and from myself, Chris Gallagher. We'll speak to you down the road.